It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From NJ.com, this is Talk is Cheap, a New York Giants podcast. We're talking big blue football all year round. Welcome on in, Giants fans, to episode 139 of the Talk is Cheap podcast right here on NJ.com. As always, I'm Matt Lombardo with my friend and colleague, Ryan Dunleavy. And believe it or not, Ryan, at 1-4, and four, after losing to the Carolina Panthers, after Tumult takes grip within the locker room over the weekend, the Giants still, still are not out of the NFC East race with a pivotal game coming up against it the stinks. Eagles on Thursday. NFC stinks. It stinks. If you told me back in June or July that you would have the Eagles at two and three, the Cowboys at two and three, the Redskins right around 500 and the e- and the Giants at one and four heading into this game, I would have told you you were crazy because on paper, this looked like Thanks. one of the deeper, more talented divisions in the league. And it's just it's terrible. Thanks. Thanks. You know, Thanks. it doesn't stink what we all untap for this podcast. And if you like what you hear. <laughs> Please, we'd love if you subscribed on iTunes or Apple Podcasts and leave us those five-star reviews. Tell us what you like and what you don't like. You can also find us on Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Spreaker, YouTube, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. As always, you can follow Ryan on Twitter at RYDunleavy. I'm at Matt Lombardo NFL. And now that we got all that out of the way, Ryan, Thanks. My, my, my head is still spinning from over the weekend and everything that took place from about 11 a.m. on Sunday yeah. until we finally walked out of Bank of America. America Stadium at about eight o'clock at night, and you, you have the star wide receiver in an ESPN interview with Lil Wayne sitting next to him. Lil Wayne, yeah. yeah. You, you have the head coach calling out uh, the media for how they handled these comments, and you know, Finito Dunn talking about Finito. the drama in the locker room. You have the the wide receiver saying he was trying to be a leader by running to national TV, and, and here we are a couple days later in practice. He falls into a three ring circus and an officiating controversy. Speaking of things that stink, the officiating. Yeah, uh, it was a wild couple of days, buddy. It was just a. Uh, let's just say, at no point in my professional career did I envision a rap battle between Eli Manning and Lil Wayne. I just uh, never figured those two guys would have beef. And uh, Eli Manning, I think if you polled NFL players and said, name the player least likely to get in beef with a rapper, Eli Manning would be at the top of the list. Oh, absolutely. And yet here we are. He responds to the interview and the comments made by Odell Beckham Jr. with Josina Anderson and Lil Wayne, for whatever reason, on ESPN, by saying that, oh, I don't listen to much Lil Wayne. Because they're both from New Orleans. Hometown love, baby. Hometown love. You ain't got to do me like that. That that's okay. I uh, never mind. That won't go there. <laughs> but Eli says that he's never 
he doesn't listen to much Lil Wayne. And then we he have actually, Lil Wayne. And he doesn't watch much Lil <laughs> Wayne, which made me wonder if he even knew who Lil Wayne was. Like he maybe he thought he was like a TV star or something. Yeah. I don't know. He, yeah. I don't or, watch or, a, much or, a, or a YouTube sensation. You know how those yeah. people are taking yeah. grips. But but now you have that clap back from Eli Manning. And then we walk out to practice on Tuesday afternoon. Not one, not two, not three, but four Lil Wayne songs open up practice after Lil Wayne fires back on Instagram. Ryan, let's just go back to the very beginning of all of this and these comments that were made by Odell Beckham Jr. that sparked this entire fiasco that seems okay. to be growing by the day. The uh, beginning's yeah. a good place to start. Yeah, yes. let's go. Yes, in a, a an interview with Josina Anderson on ESPN sitting next to Lil Wayne, uh, Odell Beckham Jr. wouldn't even say that he's happy playing in New York, that he loves the sunshine of L.A. He was asked point blank if the Giants have a quarterback problem, and he goes, uh, I don't know. And he basically said that he's being held back and he's had to make all kinds of personal sacrifices over the past six months. Where, where do we begin to unpack this, and how did we get from – all of this criticism publicly to Odell Beckham Jr. calling himself a leader in the locker room less than 24 hours later. Okay, so let's be clear on one thing. The the perception of this outside the Giants and what the perception appears to be inside the Giants is very different. Media, including you and I, do not agree with what Odell do not agree with how Odell Beckham handled himself. There seems to be some truth in what he said. But Correct. the way the way he went about it is not the way a leader goes about anything. The Giants seem to be okay with it, even though Pat Shermer was livid. He seems to think it's over, done with, handled. Um, teammates either have pled that they don't, they didn't hear the comments, they purposely avoided them, or that Odell Beckham's uh, words to the team. No one has said the word apology, really. So I don't know if Odell actually apologized as much as he clarified and explained. Correct. But that seems to have been the uh, take inside the Giants is enough. You know, Odell did enough to tell me what he really meant to say, even if that's not what he actually said. And and let me counter that by what the perception is, at least from my standpoint. And you could tell me if you agree with that, Ryan. I don't necessarily have a problem with anything that he said. We all have eyes. We all see the issues with the quarterback position. We all see that the scheme wasn't working. We all saw a pretty listless team in Dallas. We all saw a pretty lackluster and, and uninspired effort against the Saints. But my problem is the forum in, list in which that message came out. If he wanted to text Pat Shermer and call a team meeting on Saturday night at the team hotel in, in Charlotte, uh, by all means, rip into your team. Teammates, give a fiery speech, get it off your chest, hug it out as a team, call a closed door meeting with only the players, but to run to Josina Anderson on national TV and to criticize your quarterback, criticize your team's heart, criticize your coach's scheme. I have an issue with that. And, and again, I'm not a player in that locker room. So obviously our but, opinions but are much different. People besides you and me who never played in the NFL had a problem with it. Tony Dungy had a problem with it. Rodney Harrison had a problem with it. People who have bet who have longer NFL resumes than Odell Beckham had a problem with it. Correct. Correct. And, and again, I, I don't have an issue with what he said. It was the forum in which it was delivered. Yeah, I have a problem with some of what he said. The Eli Manning stuff, okay, we're right. I mean, we I don't know that there's been anybody on – we're at the top of the Giants beat in terms of people who have been critical of Eli Manning's play, okay? Like we have spelled it out 
Eli Manning's had a great career. Neither of us is sure that he has anything left. Correct. But but he but to his credit, he, you know, he played pretty well or, you know, he played a typical Eli Manning game is probably the way to say it yep. on uh, Sunday, which he hadn't been playing before that. Three hundred twenty six yards, two yeah. touchdowns and two untimely picks. Yeah. yeah, basically through some interceptions, he's thrown two hundred and thirty of those in his career and he almost led an incredible fourth quarter comeback. Uh, he's done that plenty of his career. That's Eli Manning in a, in a nutshell, but I have a problem with some of what Odell said, and let's get to that right now, which is you just signed, you just took $90 million of John Mara and Steve Tisch's money. Okay. And for, and you signed for five more years. And now six weeks later, you don't know if you like New York cause LA, uh, sunnier, they go play in LA. I like, like LA. It's you, sunny there. I, yeah, I like it. It's there. nice. Yeah, it's great. You know, it's all. You know what? It's also sunny in uh, San Diego. It's also sunny in Oakland. It's also sunny in Las Vegas. It's also yeah. It's also I sunny. Love Vegas yeah. too. It's also sunny in Dallas and Houston. There's a lot of places it's sunny. Okay, so it's also sunny on that boat trip in Miami that he took before the playoff games. Okay, so there's Lil one, Wayne has there, a boat. Yeah, I'm sure Lil Wayne has a boat. So, um. So I have a problem with that, okay? You just say you like New York or don't play in New York, okay? I had a problem with that for sure. So well, I, um, I, I agree with and you. And I just there, had right? a problem. Hold on. Yeah. I just had a problem with the whole me first attitude of it. Right. And look, again, I don't know that I disagree with any of it, but the idea that like, oh, they're not putting me in positions to be successful. Oh, I don't get as many targets as everybody else that's as good as me. Oh, I'm used to double and triple teams. It was just such a like, woe is me. I'm amazing, and they're not using me right. I could change the games, but I can't throw the ball to myself kind of moment. And it was just, it was just, if that's leadership in today's sports world, we have a real problem. Right. And again, I think that the one issue that I would take umbrage with is the not being happy in New York and having to make, quote unquote, personal sacrifices. They pay you ninety four million dollars, over 60 of which is fully guaranteed. Uh, I, I, I don't know how you can be unhappy playing for the team that just gave you that kind of contract and made you the highest paid player in the history of the league at your position. That's number one. Number and two part here. Of the reason, part of the reason you are Odell Beckham and let's go. What is Odell Beckham? He's not just one of the five best players in the NFL. Odell Beckham is a pop culture celebrity who's on magazines and best dressed and at parties and concerts. And he's hanging out with Lil Wayne. Part of the reason you are that is because you play in this market. If, sure. you were, if there's a reason, you know, A.J. Green isn't he'd be, up. He'd be, the, he'd be that guy in L.A., though. To, to his Correct. point, I'm just I'm just playing devil's advocate here. No, but he'd be LA that guy would be... out of about four franchises: the Jets, the Giants, the Rams, and the Chargers. That's about it. If he was having yep. his great, if he was having his nice little great career uh, with Cincinnati or with Cleveland, then he you know he'd be a great player. But he wouldn't be Odell Beckham. Let's get that. Code. New York has done as much for Odell Beckham as Odell. I mean, as Odell Beckham has done for New York, maybe more. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree with that. Um, but I, I think that if I were a player in that locker room, and, and listen, you and I both spoke to plenty of veterans. I spoke to Mo Michael Thomas and Alec Ogletree one-on-one -on -one, uh, for a pretty lengthy period of time after the game. I saw you talking to Landon Collins and several others. The way that message played within the room, it, it, I don't know if this is just spin and this is what was told for them to say to the media after the game by the coaching staff or the PR department. But the way that those players spoke, it was that, 
Odell Beckham Jr. spoke to the team on Saturday night before these comments aired, and it was a coming-of-age moment for the team, and they came together, and yada, yada, yada. I I guess they forgot to be galvanized for three quarters, right? I mean, is that what it comes down to here? I I mean, I I look at They didn't come out like a house on fire. They fell down 17-3. Correct. Correct. I I look at this and if Odell Beckham Jr. and I get it, he's never been in that leadership role. That's never been his temperament or his personality. If he's trying to be that guy, I think this was a tactical error and a miscalculation on his part to run to Josina, make those comments on TV rather than open up to your teammates and do it behind closed doors. Yeah. And we're not we haven't even mentioned the word heart yet. And for all of the Eli Manning stuff, for all of the me first stuff, New York, the pro- thing I had a problem with, at least early on in it, when the first bit of this interview came out, with, was calling out your teammate's heart. Like, to me, that that would have pissed me off. If you call, if you said, Rye, I don't know that your heart's in it. I don't know that you're working that hard. I'd want to fight you. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I had a real problem with that. Again, doesn't seem like the Giants did. Seems like, you know, Odell really meant energy or enthusiasm when he said heart. But he should know the difference between those two words. So um, that, to me, I thought was a, was a big deal. That's kind of got glossed over. It doesn't seem, like the, uh, doesn't seem like the Giants are too wrapped up in it. But to me, that, I mean, let's not forget that part of the interview either. Right. Then you fast forward to Tuesday and everybody's talking about how this team took a major step forward. Everybody's talking about how they came together against the Panthers, that there was a lot of improvement in that game. And and, and honestly, you, you scored 31 points for the first time since what, 2016? 2015. 2015. When Pat Shermer was the Eagles head coach on the other sideline for interim for after Chip Kelly got fired. That's the last time. That's how long ago it was. Yep. So you you have those incremental steps forward, but you still lost the game. Odell Beckham Jr. was a direct part of them losing that game when he whatever he was thinking in his head when he muffed that punt that the Panthers recovered for a touchdown, when he dropped a a critical fourth down pass play and when he dropped a a pass in the end zone uh, after opening his mouth and criticizing his teammates, Odo Beckham Jr. buried the Giants in a hole that they just weren't good enough to dig themselves out of on Sunday. And here they are at one and four. Yeah, uh, the way I would describe it, and I said this to one of our other colleagues, and I'll say it now on this podcast, and I think I said it on the radio too yesterday. The Giants are the loosest one and four team I've ever been around. Yeah, and but, by that, but, but hold on, you've covered Rutgers, so you've seen your fair share of one wow, and four, teams, right? A dagger, an absolute dagger that belongs on the. Let's make sure that that makes its way to the Scarlet, uh, whatever they're the, the rebuilding Rutgers podcast that I think they're trying to rename. Uh, yeah, let's make sure that makes it over. That's a dagger from a Penn State fan right there. So. Um, but what I was trying to look, what I was trying to say is I don't like like Sterling Shepard regretted what he did beating up a trash can and uh, aluminum bench yesterday and handled his words as good as I've ever heard anybody handle what was a mini controversy. Sure. Really you know, owned it, explained it, said it won't happen again. But he was in a great mood. Guys all around the locker room were in great moods. We got to build off this. We got to, you know, we got to take another step forward. You Evan lost- Ingram told me that the old, the quote unquote old DNA of this team would have crumbled in the first half, but they showed That's fight coming incredible. back. And I, 
and, and you try to press him on what he means by the old DNA, because I feel like he's alluding to prior to Odell Beckham Jr.'s comments, and he backtracked it to the way this team was a year ago. That's a different team. This isn't the same group of 53 guys or even 35 guys from last year to this year. So, so something happened in Carolina that flicked a switch with this team. But, Ryan, I don't know that it's sustainable. And maybe the Giants catch a break here, that it's a short oh, yeah. week and you have Thursday night. And if they really feel that they have improved or that there's a, a new mentality taking grip, there's only one way to, to prove that and, and to, to carry it over, and that's to do it again on Thursday. Look, Odell Beck. Look, NFL players hate Thursday night football. They hate it. They think it's an injury risk. They hate it. Um, of course, it, it is. It screws their routine. It, they hate it. So, but Odell Beckham said what I think a lot of them are thinking, which is this is the first time in my life I'm looking forward to a Thursday night football game because one, they feel like they have a little bit of momentum, and two, they want to get the taste out of their mouth of it losing on a 63-yard field goal. So. You're right. They might catch a little break here by playing on Thursday. Maybe the Eagles are a little more wallowing in Thursday night than the Giants are. And the Eagles are not impressive so far either. So maybe oh, and they they're banked up and they're very I banked up. Back. I hadn't heard that Ingram comment uh, until you just said it right there. I think that's a fascinating comment. And I think he probably when he tried to backtrack, I think he probably was referring to last year, even though there's only about 18 to 20 guys left yep. from last year, which is astonishing in itself that yep. that's the number. Yeah. Um, but I think he probably was talking about last year. And it reminded me of something I wanted to say earlier in this podcast, which is kudos to Pat Shermer. I've been critical of Pat Shermer. I was critical of him last week because I thought he didn't handle it right. I thought he poo-pooed it, for lack of a better term. I thought he and Ben McAdoo, one of Ben McAdoo's biggest problems was he was an Odell Beckham enabler, uh, whatever, you know, he was afraid to criticize Odell. Obviously, Odell is sensitive to criticism. Uh, so the Giants kind of just let him go. If he wants to pee in the end zone, let him pee in the end zone. So um, that, I, I thought Shermer handled it much better. I thought that vehement if, if the Giants actually do do something in this season, I'm going to look back at that vehement Pat Shermer press conference after the game where he was fiery and defiant about the officials, about Beckham, yep. about pretty much everything where he it said was, for it was the a record, bit of a turning team, point. I, that's what I'm going to. Yep. I mean, look, for a press conference to be a turning point, I don't even know how many players saw it. But for me, that's going to be where my impression of this Giants team changes, where I saw <clears throat> Shermer go from. Just a robotic, run-of-the-mill NFL head coach. All these guys get up there and say the same stuff. To a guy who actually had some personality, who showed some fire, who said, "If I go, you know, the Giants aren't going to go down where, like Ben McAdoo went down, where my key card stops working." Uh, he, P Pat Shermer, owned the team. He said, "This is my team," and he said, "You know." This is how he sees it. And whether I agree with him or not doesn't really matter. I just cared that he showed some personality. They showed some fight with his back up against the wall. The Giants' backs are against the wall. And Pat Shermer is going to go down swinging. And I thought that was really impressive. I thought he, whether he made Beckham apologize or Beckham came to him, it really doesn't really matter. Point is, he Beckham knew this head coach wasn't going to be happy, unlike his last head coach. Correct. And to borrow the very tired political cliche, I thought that Pat Shermer became the head coach of the Giants on Sunday in that press conference. He came out, uh, you know, didn't mince words about the officiating, uh, wasn't going to stand for the narrative that they quote unquote scored too quickly on the Saquon Barkley screen pass touchdown in the fourth quarter with, I believe, a minute 20 left. Uh, defended uh, the, the way that the Odell Beckham comment were handled and tried to 
tried to diffuse that situation the best that he could. Uh, I, I thought he struck all the right chords, and I thought that there were at times that in the NFL, coaches speak to their players through the yeah. media, and especially the comments about Beckham and the fact that uh, you know he, he was not going to stand for the way that those comments were being portrayed and didn't want the controversy to be uh, drawn out. I thought that he was speaking to Odell and the team as much as he was speaking to us in that moment. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, keep Pat Shermer's name out your mouth. So okay, well, wait. <laughs> that that should bring us to that should bring us back to Eli Manning, right? Because we didn't really get to dive into this. Correct. Um, and and you, you were with Eli Manning on Tuesday. I was traveling back from Charlotte. Uh, but but my, my takeaway is Monday, rather. I thought that he tried his best to sidestep a the comments made by Odell Beckham Jr., which, by the way, Odell didn't seem all warm and fuzzy about the quote unquote meetings that he had with with no. Eli Manning. Uh, before and after those comments aired. And there was certainly, uh, with Eli, his shoulders seemed up a little bit on Friday before the game after the first interview clip emerged where uh, Odell basically said, why aren't we trying to throw the ball 20 yards downfield? And it, it seemed like by Monday, at least my interpretation of reading the transcript and seeing the video, that Eli was in no mood to entertain some of the things that Odell had said about him. That's true, but I pressed him on it. Look, Eli is a master disarmer, and people have criticized uh, Eli Manning since Odell Beckham was in junior high school. So um, Eli Manning knows how to bounce back from criticism. Uh, he knows how to disarm. He That's how the Lil Wayne comment came about, because I asked him about it for his reaction to it, and his uh, initial comment was, Something along the lines, I don't watch much Lil Wayne, so I didn't see the full comments. We all know we saw the comments. We all know people told him what the comments were. So um, he went on. So I pressed him a little bit on it because, you know, that it's funny. We all laughed, but we need a little more uh, meat on the bone. And he said, you know, things are good with him and Odell. No problems. No rift between them. And if you see 14 targets from Manning to Beckham during Sunday's game, you believe that even if Manning is hurt, his feelings are hurt or his ego is wounded, he knows the way his bread is buttered is to throw the ball to one of the best receivers in the NFL. So I don't think or just let that receiver throw the ball. Yes, yes. Uh, I I don't know if the, Beckham will be over the Manning family for his house for any picnics, but I think what all Giants fans care is how they connect on Sundays or Thursdays or Mondays, and I don't think you're going to see any kind of problem there. Yep. No, I, I don't disagree. I just thought that it was kind of wild that you walk out to practice on Tuesday afternoon and practice opens up with not one, not two, not three, but four straight Lil Wayne songs. I'm a go-getter. The mob. Uh Never Recover and Uproar, I believe. Yes, those were the four. <laughs> yes, I believe those were the four, according to our uh, colleague Pat Leonard at the Daily News. I think uh, he might be more of a little more of a Lil Wayne fan than either you or I. So Correct. Um, yeah, and he was well, out there using the Shazam app to get the four songs. Uh, and uh, so, so we, we have – it's been well covered. Uh, what do you make of that? Because that feels it was like the Look, social media is wild, right, Matt? Social media is wild. We know that it's changed the game in media. It's changed the game in sports. 
Um, that was the wildest of the wild that I have ever seen on Instagram. And if anybody from Instagram is listening, Instagram really needs a rewind feature. Um, <laughs> uh, like, I don't understand. It's video. Like, how do you not have a rewind feature? If I miss a word while transcribing this wild uh, diatribe by Lil Wayne, how can I not rewind? How do I have to listen to the full video all over again to see which? And it makes no sense. Anyway, the wildest part was this image that Lil Wayne conjured up of his uncle being in prison, doing time, as he said, and looking out the window and seeing Archie Manning, Cooper Manning, Eli Manning, and Peyton Manning running drills in a schoolyard at 5 a.m. I don't know if that's true. I, <laughs> I can't possibly see how that's true. I want to know what age the Manning boys were at that time. I, I just, it, it, uh, that's a wild image. Well, what we, else we, do should, I... we should fly down to Louisiana and try to find the school yeah. and try to find the prison and, and do a, a, a photo documentary series yeah. on don't get, the stop giving our bosses, I Stop giving our bosses ideas. So I'll take a free trip to Louisiana and stop over in New Orleans. I'm all right with that. Then my point is then, and let's call it what it is. That looked like a blunt in, uh, I can't say it was a blunt, but that looked like a blunt in Lil Wayne's hand. So we're talking about a guy ripping the Giants quarterback, backing Josina Anderson, backing Odell Beckham, ripping sports writers, ripping the media. And he's holding what looks like a blunt that's actually smoking. There's smoke coming out yes. of it in the video. I mean, that is a wild thing for a sports writer to have to cover. Yeah, it was pretty pretty amazing to see all that unfold. Uh, and and where do you think that leaves this whole situation? Because it's obviously uh, th th whether they try to diffuse it or not. I, I don't know that Odell Beckham Jr. and Eli Manning are completely on the same page behind the scenes. I think that yes, Odell might have came out and apologized, and they might have spoken, but. I think it might take more than that because I, I don't remember a point in time where Odell Beckham Jr. has publicly trashed Manning in the way that he has over the weekend. Yeah, but I, like I said a couple minutes ago, I don't know that it matters. Like, I don't – I think Eli Manning's at the point in his life, at the point in his career where he has nothing really left to prove to anybody except people like you and me who are saying he's over the hill or whatever. Like, and if he's – if he can't – really all he wants to do at this point is win another ring probably. So he's just going to keep throwing the ball to Beckham. Like, I, I don't know that they're going to be friends off the field. I don't know that they ever were friends off the field. So I think he's just going to – on game days, keep throwing the ball to Beckham because that's the best chance to success. I don't expect it to fill over, spill over into the field where they get in some heated discussion and pushing and shoving on the sideline. I don't see any of that. It's just not Eli Manning's temperament. If he had said these things about Cam Newton or said these things about, I don't know, another, give me another, maybe Aaron Rodgers, some other like more fiery quarterback. Ben yeah, Ben Roethlisberger, maybe. Um, maybe there'd be more of a chance of a gripe, but Eli Manning is the kind of guy I, I just, you know, water off his back. So let's spin this forward to Thursday night then, because this is a team that to borrow the term used in the locker room, used by Pat Shermer, they appear to be quote unquote galvanized. As you pointed out, you feel like they're loose going into this game, even though that they're one and four and they've lost two consecutive games. It's a must win contest in the division. They're only uh, a game and a half out of first place. Ryan, if they win this game, it, it really turns the tide of the entire season because they have their de facto second bye week before going to Atlanta on a Monday night. Uh, 
there's opportunity there. The Falcons aren't playing well. They're as banged up as the Eagles are. But you look at what you saw on Sunday. Can they carry it over to Thursday night at MetLife? I think they can because I don't think the Eagles are very good right now. I mean, look, Carson Wentz is very good and the defensive line is very good, but nothing I've seen from the Eagles has impressed me. Uh, I'm very convinced that this is a team with a lot of talent that's in one of those Super Bowl hangovers. Uh, So I think the Giants could catch them sleeping, basically, Uh, catch them waking up from that hangover. Yeah, Uh, and they're banged up, too. You have Rodney McLeod, the safety, out for the year, and you're playing Corey Graham, who's a journeyman. You have Jay Ajayi out for the year, and you're piecing together a backfield with Corey Clement and Wendell Smallwood. That's probably not enough to sustain the running game. The offensive line seems to have forgotten how to play the game of football over the last eight months, or at least gone from being arguably one of the top two or three lines in the league to now you're rotating Stefan Wisniewski and Isaac Samalu in and out at at left guard, and it it's a mess. It's a, it's amazing to me that Carson Wentz, with all of that going on on offense and defense, can finish with a passer rating of 115.3 on Sunday, and they still lose the game. So you look at the Eagles, yeah. I agree with you. It's not the same team that went to the Super Bowl a year ago, and the Giants, if they do feel like they have momentum, and if they can exploit the Eagles' secondary, uh, they have a shot here. I think it's going to be a high-scoring game and a race to 30 points, but if, if the Giants can get there and then pound out the running game late, to keep the ball out of Wentz's hands, there's a good chance they're two and four going into Atlanta. The Giants just have to do what they did against the Panthers. No matter what defense the Eagles play, and you probably know the Eagles' defensive schemes much better than I do, but uh, no matter what they play, the Giants have to do, dictate to them the way they dictated to the Panthers. Like, doesn't really matter what you're going to play. We're going to throw passes. We're going to throw 20-yard passes to Odell Beckham. We're going to get Sterling Shepard involved. We're going to use. We're going to open up the bag of tricks. We're going to use Saquon Barkley. If you're going to stop him in the run, then we're going to get him involved in the pass. And they should maybe get Evan Ingram back, which I think is a huge factor. Well, here, here's what I would do, and let me know if you agree with this. If I'm the Giants, my first play from scrimmage, I'm running a four-wide receiver set, and I'm putting Odell Beckham Jr. on the outside with Sterling Shepard in the slot, and on the other side of the field, I'm putting Ingram in the slot if he's healthy with Barkley out wide. How does an Eagles team with Jalen Mills, one of the worst-rated so cornerbacks right wide, now— you're counting a tight end and a running back. Well, lined up in that set. Yeah, I'm, gotcha. I'm not. I'm, I'm not saying Saquon's going to be in the backfield. I'm saying gotcha. I'm putting Saquon Barkley outside That's with Ingram in the slot, five. or vice, or vice versa. Yeah, gotcha. and, and I'm using Red Ellison as an inline blocker uh, on Brandon Graham's side of the field. If you're the Giants, if you're frankly, if you're the Eagles, how do you stop that? If you're stretch, if you're if you're stretching them thin with four dynamic pass catchers who yeah. can make plays in space with uh, with one safety right in in Malcolm yeah. Jenkins and one and a half cornerbacks in yeah. Sidney Jones and and Ronald Darby, how do you stop that? And, and I would Love just it. go to the aerial attack and I would stretch it deep with Beckham. I, I'd run shallow crossers with with Ingram and Barkley. I'd get Shepard running post patterns and I would throw down the field to get a lead and then I'd sit on it by trying to establish the run late when the Giants uh, can dictate at that point if they jump out to let's say a 14 to 3 or a 17 to 10 lead. I love what you're saying. Uh, I, I I would try it for sure but let's just play devil's advocate. You asked or what I assume what you meant to be a rhetorical question but I'll answer it. How do you stop that? You eat alive the Giants offensive line. 
So the Eagles have maybe the best defensive line in the NFL. Maybe it's the 12 Jaguars. sacks already this year. Yeah. Yep. Maybe it's the Jaguars, but the Giants already faced the Jaguars and certainly didn't instill any confidence with how they handled that. So um, since then, the Giants have made a move. They've now cut Eric Flowers. Uh, they, you know, I think that was a move more. 25 for, minutes into the podcast, and we yeah. haven't even mentioned that they released yeah. Eric Flowers until yeah. now. It's just been that kind of a week and, yeah. and such a dramatic fall from ungracefulness for Eric Flowers getting benched in, in Houston to uh, gone, to, just gone two weeks later, eating the rest of his salary. Uh, yeah. it, it, it's amazing to me how quickly that happened. And, yeah. and we can get into that on another, on another pod. But I look yeah. at, at, you know, keeping Manning upright. That's obviously priority one. That's right. Yeah, that's it. But I don't know that this Giants offensive line, and you watch Patrick Omame, he was just an abject disaster against the Panthers in run blocking. I don't know that you win that battle up front in the run game, which is why I think you have to throw your way to a lead yeah. early on. Yeah, I don't know that they can win it in the pass game either. That's the problem. That's uh, that's why it's risky to pick the Giants in this game because I don't know that they can handle it in either regard. Nate Solder, who, you know, to his credit, it will always do an interview, is one of the leaders, a ca- is a true captain, but is groomed by the Patriots and Bill Belichick, so never says anything of note, said that the, each one of the Eagles defensive linemen is the is near the at or near the best in the NFL at their position. Oh, I'd agree. I'd agree. I I think that Fletcher Cox is probably the second or third best defensive tackle in the league. I think Brandon Graham, uh, after his second half last year, is probably a top five defensive end in the league. And Brandon Graham, excuse me, Derek Barnett, a rookie a year ago, uh, made a pivotal play, recovered a fumble in in the Super Bowl against Tom Brady, and he has two and a half sacks already this year. So So I I agree with that market. We're not talking about Demarcus Lawrence and a bunch of guys or J.J. Watt and a bunch of guys. This is a unit, you know? Yep, no, 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 no doubt about it. Um, but if we go into the key matchups, the first one that jumps out to me, Odell Beckham against Jalen Mills. And you look at Beckham so far, 39 receptions, 462 yards, one touchdown catch. Mills, on the other hand, the 99th rated cornerback in the NFL by pro football focus. Uh, the, the, the Eagles are going to be forced to give Mills some help over the top, whether it's Graham or uh, you, you leave – Malcolm Jenkins out in a center field position rather than dropping him into the slot like they prefer to do. If they isolate Beckham one-on-one against Mills, it's going to be a long night for that Eagle secondary. Yeah, I, I think Mills is pretty susceptible to double moves. Beckham loves double moves. So I uh, I don't like that matchup for the Eagles at all. Uh, you Again, you know better than I do. They might would they switch Darby on to him? Would they switch another corner on a Beckham? I, if that's your plan, Mills versus Beckham with somebody over the top, I don't, that could be a double team that Beckham wins. So that could be a slant over the middle, 60 yards to the house. I, I I don't like that plan at all. I, uh, but let's, I, Malcolm Jenkins, uh, who I, listen, I covered in high school when he was at Piscataway High School. One of my favorite um, players to cover in the NFL. One, one of the a, most accessible people and, yeah. and great, great guys yeah. uh, that I've ever seen in a locker room. He He's the kind of guy who could get in Beckham's head, too, because he's a pretty big trash talker. I have a great yep. – I got you got to save me 30 seconds. If we run over – I apologize to our producer. If we run over to, on this or uh, to your wife, if you have to run somewhere after this, I got a quick one-minute Malcolm Jenkins story I got to tell. So, Hit me with it. Uh, I'm covering a Piscataway Franklin high school football game one year, and uh, it's probably mid 2000s. And 
Uh, it's a Thanksgiving Day game, and there's this a turkey guy. bowl. Yeah, there's this guy on the Piscataway sideline talking tons of trash to these like 16 year old cor- cornerbacks at Franklin High School, and I'm like. What is going on here? Like, who is this guy? Is this a coach? Is this a um, who is this guy? Who's this like guy who's like in his late teens, early 20s, talking trash to these poor guys on Franklin High School? And then I come to figure out it's Malcolm Jenkins, uh, the Piscataway alumni who ends up who at the time was at Ohio Ohio State. State, Yeah. Won the Thorpe Award as the best defensive back in all of college football. Um relentlessly trash talking these like you know these kids who probably now are like gym teachers and accountants um like uh just malcolm jenga just relentless on them so now that he's become one of the biggest trash talkers in the nfl i've never kind of forgot that story of like that's how competitive malcolm jenkins is that's how much he tries to get in your psyche that you know, he wasn't just an alum back at his high school alma mater's Thanksgiving Day football game. He, he was, was trying to have an impact on the yeah. game. <laughs> yeah. That's terrific. Yeah. Uh, that really yeah. sums him up as well. Uh, another matchup, and this is one that I, I kind of like for the Eagles, and we tried to talk about this yesterday. Uh, Zach Ertz. I don't know what the Giants' answer is for Zach Ertz in coverage. He's in the midst of one of the best starts to a season by a tight end in league history. 41 receptions, 437 yards, and a touchdown. He leads the league among tight ends and catches yards average yards per game uh the eagles funnel a lot of their passing game through Ertz, especially with alshon jeffrey and the attention that he commands over the top uh, i think the giants might have to bring ray ray armstrong back onto the field because he's probably one of their better coverage linebackers but i, I don't know outside of dedicating a safety towards covering Ertz, which you're going to have to give help over the top uh, for beckham against either darby or mills i don't know what the giants answer is to take away Zach Ertz or limit his damage in the passing game. Yeah, I agree. I, I was trying, when you asked me yesterday, who do I think covers him? I guess it's Ray Ray Armstrong, but Ray Ray Armstrong was even benched at the end of the last game. I don't really know who the Giants' best option is um, as a linebacker to cover. Maybe it's Landon Collins as a safety. Uh, I think Ertz wins this matchup hands down. I was actually trying to think who is the best tight end the Giants have faced so far. And for a defense that has struggled with tight ends in the past, I mean, they were atrocious covering tight ends last year. Um, they haven't really been tested by that. Correct. Position Austin so Safarian Jenkins from the Jaguars. I don't I mean, that might be the best one they faced. So, yeah, this is uh, the Giants have faced a lot of dual threat quarterbacks. They faced a lot of running backs who can catch the ball. They have not faced a great tight end. So this is a great test for them. It's, it's a big test, and I don't know how well it's going to go. Uh, Alshon Jeffrey against Janoris Jenkins. Here you have strength on strength. Uh, Jer- Alshon Jeffrey is a top 10 corner in the uh, wide receiver in the league. Jenkins is a top 10 cornerback in the league, maybe better than that. Uh, Vikings did a really nice job last week against Alshon. They gave their cornerback some help over the top, held him two catches and 39 yards. Uh, the 31 yards came off one reception. Um, and then you look the previous week in his first game back from a shoulder injury, he had eight catches for 105 yards and a score. So the Giants are going to have to look at what Minnesota did and replicate it. But I think that, Ryan, this is going to come down to Jenkins winning his matchup and not letting Jeffrey get behind him. Yeah, look, I think these are two of the more underrated guys at their position in the NFL. I think Jeffrey doesn't get enough credit for being a good receiver, a playmaker. Jenkins doesn't get enough credit for being a shutdown corner. Uh, 
Ice Jenkins has had a weird year. Uh, I feel like he's played better than maybe the numbers suggest against him. He's got two picks. Um, he uh, gave up the huge touchdown against the Cowboys. I feel like he's done a pretty good job, but this is another chance for him to establish himself as one of the better uh, corners in the NFL. I'd give the edge to Jenkins. And you, and you do it on national TV. I think that carries yeah. a lot of weight for his peers across the NFL. Uh, fourth matchup, Damon Harrison against Jason Kelsey. Another strength-on-strength matchup here. Kelsey is the highest-graded center through the, in the NFL through the first five games, according to Pro Football Focus. And you look at, at Damon Harrison, and he's probably another guy who is top five or top 10 at his position uh no, I, I think he's yeah he i think he's number two or three at his position yeah behind donald and cox yeah that's probably it yeah yeah uh so you look at at, at this spot here I, i'd throw gerald mccoy into that mix as well but you look at, at where at this matchup i don't think there's a more important matchup to what the giants need to do on thursday night than this one because you're going to need to pressure wentz the giants haven't done a, a really good job of generating a pass rush that interior pressure from harrison yeah, i yeah. i think could really make a difference especially because the eagles mm. don't really have a threat to run the ball right now yeah, what well, you make a good point because snacks you cannot run the ball on snacks. He snacks honestly to me might be better than those guys. I know that's blasphemy. Uh, Donald and Cox, he might be better as a run stopper. The problem is in his overall game, he doesn't get enough pressure up the middle. He's not enough of a pass rusher. Those two guys are complete def- interior defensive linemen because they stop the run and get a pass rush. Uh, Snacks has never done enough. That's why he hasn't made a Pro Bowl because he doesn't have sacks. It kills him that he hasn't made a Pro Bowl. That that's why he, he hasn't because he doesn't get enough of a pass rush. So I think he'll probably eat up the Eagles' running game, which isn't very good right now anyway. Uh, but in terms of getting a pass rush up the middle, I'd give the edge to Kelsey. All right, Nigel Bradham against Saquon Barkley. We all know what Barkley's capable of. 5.7 yards per touch so far, five total touchdowns, 582 yards from scrimmage, seventh in the league. Nigel Bradham's the Eagles' best coverage linebacker. He's their best linebacker against the run. Um, This is going to be one of the bigger tests for Saquon Barkley, I believe, especially on obvious passing downs. You might slide Jordan Hicks into that role to pick him up in the flat. But if the Giants are going to win this game, Game, uh, Ryan, it's just like the Panthers game. It comes down to getting Saquon Barkley and Odell Beckham involved early and often. Yeah, again, we go, we've gone through this a couple times. I'm not. There's no one I'm going to pick to cover Saquon Barkley. I don't think there is a linebacker or safety in the NFL I would pick to cover Saquon Barkley. Uh, I'm going to give the edge to Barkley. Right? I, look, I haven't been super impressed with Saquon Barkley. Uh, the running back. He's hit a ton of, he's hit a couple. I shouldn't say ton. He's hit a handful. That's probably the right way. Four, five, six of really I nice. Believe home, it's, I believe home. it's four runs over 20 yards. Yes. We have so far. Yeah. And they, they pop out because they're him making plays. They're him hurtling dudes. And uh, so I, those runs pop out, they flash, but everything else is two yards, one yard, three yards. And you could say that's the blocking hasn't been there, but I would like to see, Saquon Barkley with a little more steady seven yard runs, but Saquon Saquon Barkley, the receiver has been incredible. I mean, he has been every bit as good at advertised, if not better. So if you're telling me him versus a linebacker in coverage, him every day and twice on Thursdays, I'll say this going into week four, and I'd have to round back with my contact of pro football focus to get the updated stat here, but heading into week four, the league average of yards prior to contact was 1.4 
Barkley, negative 0.4 yards before yeah. contact. Uh, and and to me, that that's where the issue is lied. And we saw that with Patrick Omame the other day against the Panthers. The problem is, I, I don't know, other than maybe putting Spencer Pulley in there, I don't know that the Giants have a better option at guard right now because they're stretched so thin. Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, the offensive line is a... The offensive line's a problem. Run blocking, pass blocking. It's just where Dave Gettleman did not want to be. Uh, Eli Manning against the Eagles secondary. We touched on this earlier. I think this is a big night for Eli. I think that he could surpass 300 yards again. I think he could throw two touchdowns again. The, the problem is going to be limiting turnovers, especially in big spots like he had on Sunday in the red zone, throwing off his back foot into double coverage. That was a rookie mistake, not something you expect from a 37-year-old veteran. Uh, he needs to be more consistent late in the game, especially if it's tight. But I, I do like Eli's chances against the Eagles secondary with what we've seen from them so far. Yeah, look, for whatever reason, Eli Manning, two things. One, he has not done well against the Eagles. He's 10 and 18 in his career. Uh, far worse than he is against either the Cowboys or the Redskins. The Eagles have had his number over the years. Um, But the flip side of that is even in two losses last year, Manning had probably his two best games against the Eagles. And in the second one, he was throwing to a bunch of guys who aren't even on the team anymore, like Kanan, Severin, Hunter Sharp, uh, Roger Lewis. Um, so Manning played well against the Eagles, even with that cast of guys. So I got to think Manning against a similar, uh, Eagles secondary advantage Manning, especially when he has the, his regular cast of weapons. Yep. And then I think that this is where the game could be won or lost by the Giants. It's the Giants pass rush against Carson Wentz. Like we pointed out last week, 115.3 passer rating, 311 yards and two touchdowns and a loss. A Giants defense only has seven sacks so far this year they haven't generated a whole lot of of the worst in the nfl the worst actually league worst in terms of sacks and they might be getting olivier vernon back we've been saying that for a month yeah i believe believe when we see it yeah Um, they might be getting olivier vernon back just like uh the Giants might be able to trade Eric Flowers or I might be able to win the lottery. I, uh, I, I believe Olivier Vernon is back when I see Olivier Vernon on the field. And and this is why I was so hesitant. And look, uh, we're going to get to our score predictions. You, you know what, though? I just I just said that and I got to point something out. I don't mean to interrupt you, but uh, I just said that because I doubt because every every week it's the same story. He practices in the middle of the week. Then, you know, he's sore afterwards and he he can't quite make it. That's not me questioning Olivier Vernon. A, a lot of Giants fans have questioned, oh, it's only a high ankle sprain. How are you not gutting it out? And Pat Shermer was quick to address that. I don't even know how he was aware of that. Maybe he's on Twitter. Uh, he said – Let's be clear about one thing. Olivier Vernon wants to play. He is trying to play. And I've had a high ankle sprain. I've never tried to play football on a high ankle sprain. Um, I can't imagine how painful that is. That isn't just rolling your ankle, folks. A high ankle sprain in sports can really keep you out. Six can keep you out. Oh, I'm not. I, I'm not. I'm, I'm not saying you are, Olivier I'm Vernon. not saying. No, I'm not saying you are, and I'm not. But there are Giants fans out there who are, and we are not agreeing with you is my point. We are not saying Olivier Vernon is soft or whatever. We're just saying I'll believe he's out there when he's out there because 
we've seen in practice and then it doesn't necessarily lead to playing. So I'm right. done buying into that narrative. Right. And I think there's a chance that this could be an eight to 10 week injury, or he could finally be back th- this week. It's just so unpredictable, high ankle sprains, what you have to go through and, and the recovery time, it kind of varies uh, by the severity of the injury. And, and it impacts you as a pass rusher because of how quickly you have to cut and change direction on that ankle. So uh, again, it's not a criticism of Vernon. I, I just don't know that this will be the week that he gets back. And this matchup right here, the Giants pass rush against Wentz, I, I think Wentz could have a big night. And that's why I'm so reluctant to pick the Giants. I, fe- I felt better about the Giants' chances in this game as the week has gone along and kind of after rewatching the second half of the game against Carolina. But Wentz, to me, is the definition of a game changer at quarterback. And I think the Giants have potentially game-changing players in, in, in Beckham, Shepard, Ingram, if he's healthy, and certainly Barkley. But I don't know that they have that at the quarterback position right now. And and the Eagles, both look, both teams need this game. But I think the Eagles have, you know, they've been to the mountaintop. They know what it takes to get back. I feel like they need this game a little bit more based on what they're trying to do. Interesting. Yeah, I'll, I'll, in that matchup, I'll take the I'll take Wentz. I'll take the Eagles' offensive line. Haven't seen nearly enough from the Giants' pass rush. It's been sporadic. If Vernon's out there and he's healthy, then you know maybe I'm closer to fifty-fifty. But without yeah. Vernon, without Vernon, I haven't seen I haven't seen near. Connor Barwin's been good. Lorenzo Carter's been good, but neither one of them is dragging the quarterback to the ground nearly enough. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think who else am I did Kareem Martin, Kareem Martin, Kerry yeah. Wynn. Yeah, yeah. They're just, they're just, they're a half step away or whatever. And, uh, I don't expect that to change against this group. Yep. No, I agree. So it's time to make your picks. Who you got? I picked the giants. I picked, uh, I picked the giants 28, 26. I think it'll be one of those games with, uh, more touchdowns than field goals. I think teams will go back and forth down the field. I th- we saw that this week. I could do without a little bit of the craziness of last week. I don't know that we need a crazy trick play and a punt off somebody's foot. That makes it very hard to write on deadline, folks. So, uh, <laughs> But I do expect it to be an entertaining football game, you know, not a punt fest like some of the Giants games have been. Giants 28-26 to really shake up the NFC East. Yeah, I, I've felt better, like I said, about the Giants' chances as the week has gone along. I, I still think the Eagles are a more complete team at this point, and I think that, again, as I just said, they know what it takes to get to and win a Super Bowl, and, and this is litmus test time for everybody down there. I just think at this stage of the season, they're a little bit better than the Giants, and I have the Eagles winning this one 27-24. to 24. You didn't have PHL in your Twitter handle for no reason, you know? So <laughs> hey, it's what happens when you cover the Eagles and do talk radio for six years. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think I just took my parting shot. I'll, I'll give mine, and it's not necessarily <laughs> a shot. I took that earlier at your former beat as well, my friend, oh, yeah. so we're even yeah. there. Uh, yeah. I just want to give a shout out to all of the Giants fans who made the trip to Charlotte. A friend of mine flew down and checked out the game. And I played golf on Saturday afternoon. And as I'm waiting for my Uber leaving the course, four guys from North Jersey are hanging out. And Dave uh, said, wait, your voice sounds familiar. Are you Dave? from Dave right. listens and subscribes to the podcast. So a shout, shout out, out to Dave. Dave. 
we met up at Ballantyne Golf Club after our round. It was a beautiful course, but great time meeting those guys. Ryan, I don't know about you, but I thought that that was MetLife Stadium South. That was Giants South on Sunday. Uh, kudos to the Giants fans for how well they traveled against the Panthers. And it was a, a really cool weekend and a really neat vibe around that city. But shout out to Dave and his crew for stepping up and saying hello. Keep Dave's name out your mouth. And with that, he's Ryan Dunleavy. Follow him on Twitter at RY Dunleavy. I'm Matt Lombardo at Matt Lombardo NFL. We'll be back with you on Friday to break down the Eagles-Giants game. Ryan, really looking forward to this one.